Daily Season 2, Episode 243, for August 31st, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss how an Eevee gets salty and erupts into flames. The Glass Onion was a documentary. New York police to fly drones over backyards. Creepy. I bet you can't ID them. Fisker's junk in its trunk hides itself. The AI domain supports Island Nation. Don't villainize 3D printing. Why not support homeowners installing solar? Felonies, gotta collect them all. Don't order a large drink. Most stolen vehicles, dodge. And Starfield is top game before launch. And again after launch. <laughs> Let's get going. Hello, hello again. Welcome to Omtown. I'm Mayor Watt. That is Omtown.com. And up there is the AI from on high that keeps tabs of me and tries to make things run. <laughs> Try is the operative word. <laughs> I didn't change your colors. Oh. That's okay. I like that color. All right. Good evening, hometown citizens. Hello, hello. Okay. Hey, so today is an actual, is kind of a busy day because um, I've been working all day um, in hometown and outside of hometown. And uh, now we're doing the show. And then immediately after the show, I'm going to be uh, playing Starfield. I've already got it downloaded, ready to go. Um, with that in mind, I really do want to get this show on the road. Trying to check something. Okay. Anyway, sorry for the dead air. We are going to get going right now. The very first article is over in Hometown Daily. Tesla erupts into flames after getting flooded during hurricane. Uh, we were talking about this uh, day yesterday, day before yesterday, um, and uh, there was a, a PSA sent out by the denizens of Florida saying, move your EVs outside of your garage, away from brush, etc. Um, because when EVs uh, get flooded, they uh, tend to combust because the salt water shorts them all out. I mean, that's what you definitely think of as a hazard when you're getting flooded that you think something like a fire or an explosion is going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, apparently it's the salt water in particular, but I think anything that causes it to short out, then because it's a lithium battery, the lithium uh, stays on fire and can basically burn your house down. Um, pretty wild out there. I was surprised that this was an actual thing. Everything okay, AI? Well, yes, but I just started thinking, how does that work um, if uh, there's regular rain or something, right? I'm assuming part of this was because of the storm surge from the ocean or river. But, right. I mean, if you're getting a heavy rainstorm or thunderstorm, Apparently, because they're not hermetically sealed, the contacts from every every angle and under sustained onslaught of salt water, um, they eventually allow for the contact between 
the 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 poles of the battery or batteries uh and their segments then it shorts out catches on fire because it overheats and off you go uh, matthew impelli is uh, is the author over at newsweek.com um let's see here officials with the Peneus, i think it is it might be Penelis at this point i don't know um park police de- uh, department determined the tesla was destroyed after a it caught fire while on the back of a tow truck. Wow, that one, that's interesting. <laughs> that's like a double whammy. <laughs> um, a spokesperson for the department told Newsweek that the owner of the vehicle had it parked in a location near one of the beaches that was flooded with salt water during the storm. They said that the owner had parked the vehicle near 66th Street uh, North and Park Boulevard. Now, in the grand scheme of things, its location doesn't really matter, short of the fact that it was parked near the beach and salt water and invaded it. And uh, it apparently, whatever, this is is apparently a known thing. Um, But I, until recently, didn't know that it was a very well-known thing. Suddenly, fire stations and police were telling people to move their cars out of their houses um the last storm not this one but the one before it apparently they saw somewhere around nine um evs catch fire in florida um uh, this time i've only seen the one but who knows really who knows if you're evacuating they don't all make like national news so yeah exactly um if you own a high, it says here, if you own a hybrid or electric vehicle that has come into contact with salt water due to recent flooding within the last 24 hours, it is crucial to relocate the vehicle from your garage without delay. Salt water exposure can trigger combustion in lithium ion batteries. If possible, transfer your vehicle to higher ground. Um, I, I have not looked into why salt water in particular. Um, I don't know if it causes some um, degradation of something within the lithium ion battery structure and then causes it to run away or what, Uh, but I haven't looked into it really. Um, And like they said here, it can't be easily suppressed. You basically have to just let it burn out. Okay, let's keep on hustling through the news. This next article is over in the Late Night Geeks channel. Feds investigate Tesla's use of funds for a secret glass house project. Manhattan federal prosecutors with the Securities and Exchange Commission are separately investigating the use of Tesla funds to bankroll a project, a secret project that is described internally as a glass house for CEO Elon Musk, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal that cites people familiar with the matter. It's an article that's over at techcrunch.com. Rebecca Bellin is the author. Um, Wall Street Journal reported in July that Tesla board members were investigating potential misuse of company resources on the project known as Project 42. (laughs) The guy's such a twit. Um, And whether Musk was personally involved, according to the newspaper, Project 42 involves a large class structure to be built in Austin, Texas. God, this is so glass onion. <laughs> or SEC. glass onion is so Tesla, right? <laughs> well, I did title this section, The Glass Onion Was a Documentary. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the context of it, we don't know, but I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, the EV maker has a fraught history with the SEC. The agency opened an investigation into Tesla after Musk tweeted in 2018 that it had secured funding to take Tesla private. He didn't. Um, allegedly causing volatility in the market price. Yeah, when a person who has a massive following says something, there's a lot of people that follow. Um, it kind of matters. So, you know, you should matters. probably make uh, professional statements and yeah. well and thought out forbidden. statements. You're not allowed to do that. As part of a settlement with the SEC, Tesla and Musk both paid separate $20 million penalties and Musk agreed. Yeah, I'll pay it because in... Um, okay, I've already recovered all that money. Bye-bye. Uh, oh, that's not what the article <laughs> says. Sorry. Tesla and, and Musk both paid separate $20 million penalties and Musk agreed to have a lawyer review his tweets. Paid so well that basically the lawyer goes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and did he say he's going to get them reviewed before he sends them? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Post it. Hey, I tweeted. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, you're probably going to get sued for that. And this is the attorney speaking, right? Hey, you're probably going to get sued for that tweet. I estimate that it's going to be about $5 million or 35 seconds worth of your investments. Exactly. Then he's like, send. <laughs> yeah. Or well, already he already it, did. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, I have a very firm claim out there. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a uh, PhD psychologist or sociologist or anything, actually. <laughs> I'm not PhD. Um, but uh, I have a firm belief that as you become wildly wealthy, you become wildly sociopathic. There's. Is it, is it really the wildly part or just. As you it's trend not, uh, towards sedately, <laughs> you can slowly ease, I suppose, if you already have the the mechanics in play of becoming a soci uh, sociopath. But um, yeah, from my from my anecdotal observations, um, there is information out there about it. By the way, there's research that's been done, um, and there are people that have published books about it. So I, I fall into that camp. So we'll see. Um, I've got ongoing research um, in, into this. So I think it's an interesting, it, like many things, like all of hometown, these are areas of interest that I have. And so I turned it into a website so that other people might be interested in this stuff can congregate. Um, in August, the SEC said investors who suffered financial losses as a result of the tweet way back in 2018, might soon receive a payout from a $42.3 million fund established as part of the securities fraud uh, settlement. So it's only taken five years. Right. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, how much are people really going to get from that? That 42 million was invested at 12%. And so over, and that's annual. So he's already made back <laughs> every, he's already made back $42 million. Let's keep on going. Unlike that Tesla. So the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. New York police will use drones to spy on people. I'm sorry, monitor backyard parties this weekend, spurring privacy concerns. This is like the dystopian, creepy bastard kind of stuff. This um, reminds me. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a movie or something set in, you know, year 2200 or something. 
Well, it it sure seems like it's an invasion of privacy. I don't know what the law says off the top of my head about, or is your backyard private? Um, not necessarily, it, but it may depend on whether you can see into it. It's not a public venue. It's not open to the public. You Even if you have 50 or 500 friends, it's not open to the public. So is this a constitutional breach to have what amounts to the state monitoring people in real time? Oh, quite possibly. I mean, it would make a very interesting case. Right? It takes an investigative order to go parsing through surveillance video. You have to have a request. Hey, I'm putting in a request for you to go through state evidence or potential state evidence yeah. and surveillance camera. Uh, we're actively well, investigating. It's all about what's visible, too. So it's not as easy as just saying yes or no. So. I mean, I'm thinking about somebody whose backyard is visible from a sidewalk or something is going okay, to be so, a, possibly a different situation than somebody who lives out in the woods or whatever, and nobody can see into their property. Yeah, but then there, we're not talking about somebody on the sidewalk, are we? Okay, so the police can go and run the drone on the public sidewalk. It can't go 500 feet up in the air and spy down into my backyard. It just seems in, in, incredibly Oh, it absolutely invasive. seems like a problem. I'm just saying I think it'll come down to visibility will be part of that. But it, it absolutely, like, nobody thinks somebody's going to go up in the air and look down on somebody's property, right? Yeah. And, again, from experience, I've waved at drones that have flown over uh the, well, you might have been uh, part of the New York police, even though you're not in New York. <laughs> I'm in hometown, and uh, well, let's just say that <laughs> I've said hi in a in colorful ways to people flying their drones and hovering them over the mayor's mansion. Um, so this article is over at Quartz or QZ.com. The author is Jake Offenarts. And uh, they're an AP uh, writer, but it was published over there. Um, it's from New York. It says those attending outdoor parties or barbecues in New York City this weekend may notice an uninvited guest looming over their festivities, a police surveillance drone. So they're going to be doing this over the Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. And society basically needs to clap back about this. They... Because if you oh, tolerate absolutely. it, it's going to be impossible to claw back. Once the invasion... Right, and all it takes is like one, okay, there's a law that says you can do it or something. Yeah. Then it's just going to expand. And I mean, you know, there's the privacy question, which I think is the most important one. But then also, what's going to happen, right? A drone's going to go over. If there's a lot of people, they're going to spot something happening you know maybe a fugitive or an illegal right. action or whatever and then it's going to get even further right but why isn't this muddied etc yeah so without um hello crazy cat lady welcome to the show um crazy cat lady says i'm sorry but no um and i agree the thing about this is this is fruit of the poisonous tree Without a court order, they can't surveil anybody's private property. 
Well, they can surveil it if they have a court order, right? It, it, well, it's they certainly not a... can't surveil inside somebody's house. The right. yard is an interesting question. Sure. I mean, if, if you're throwing a party up on a hill for all to see, then I understand it. But, you know, I don't know. We're, I'm wearing my gold thong in the backyard and I'm sunbathing for crying out loud. Is it okay for a surveillance drone from the state to fly over and record me in perpetuity? And then it's record, it's recorded. And then there's some other numb nuts in the, in, that has access to it and it ends up somewhere. And then it's incumbent on me to go and prosecute this in court as an invasion. This may not have even been tested. I mean, drones haven't been around for a long period of time. Now, I'm sure it has been tested somewhere, but I don't know. Um, I mean, have we seen any cases about this? I don't think we've seen any in hometown. Kaz Daughtry, the assistant NYPD commissioner, said at a press conference, if a caller states there's a large crowd, a large party in a backyard, we're going to be utilizing our assets to go up and check on the party. My God, this is this is worse than Big Brother. This is mom and dad, hover parent of the state. Uh, this is <laughs> amazing, amazing. So Crazy Cat Lady says that they pay uh, rent and taxes to do what I please on my property within reason. Yeah. Exactly. So now you can't have a, a kid's birthday party because somebody, that's right. Crazy cat lady, you've got it all down. You're not allowed to be in your backyard because if somebody says that there's a large crowd of people and you live in New York City, they're going to send somebody to go and surveil your property from the air. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it seems very invasive. Seems un unconstitutional, but I'm sure that somebody... They're going to piss off the wrong person and end up in court because all the rest of the people are, they don't have the financial resources or the political might to clap right. back about this. Without... But you're absolutely right. What if they go after somebody like an Elon Musk or whatever, just somebody with a lot of resources. But then you'll get disparate treatment. He'll be able to sit there and do whatever he wants. Right. But I'm saying if that happens, I don't mean Elon Musk, but I just mean somebody is wealthy. Um, I mean, they'll bring it to court if this, if that yeah. happens. But See, know. like I have, I have civil responses. If somebody flies over my property with a drone, records something from on high and posts it online, then I have the ability to seek recompense for invasion of privacy. Or if something happens that ends up being slanderous or libelous because somebody and it negatively impacts my me my reputation my business my life whatever or it draws unwanted attention to my property right if somebody posts this as revenge whatever right revenge drone porn whatever you want to call it um but well that's what it really amounts to if somebody posts it online i have a, a legal recourse but with the state they can sit there and say, well, we were just doing surveillance. It, no, you were invading my privacy and you're the state. Well, and surveillance is subject to limitations. Yes. 
Yeah, this is going to end up in court in a heartbeat. I mean, I think it already is, right? Like the articles out here, I feel like somebody's already sued today. <laughs> if it's <laughs> not, if it's been in business hours, right? Like somebody ran down to the courthouse. It might be in the ABA journal. We'll see um, by uh, Monday. We'll see if there's somebody saying, "Yeah, we're going to end up in court on Tuesday." Okay, let's keep hustling. The next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. Look at that ABA journal. Um, lawyer thought fake client tactic was an acceptable strategy. She tells disciplinary commission. Well, the hint there is in the disciplinary commission. <laughs> well, I thought the hint was the fake client. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the leading indicator into an ethical breach. Oh, okay. So the uh, the snippet says a North Carolina lawyer told the disciplinary commission that she thought that substituting a litigant for her criminal client uh, during an arraignment was an acceptable um, tactic. Yeah. So Deborah Casson's wife over at ABAJournal.com put this article together. Uh, this is a fascinating situation. Um, I actually saw something about this previously. So. Um, it's really interesting because what ended up happening was an attorney that was prosecuting a case went before uh, the court and while a witness was on the stand said, hold on a second, um, went outside with the client, brought in an alternate <laughs> and, and stood there when the witness came up to actually get questioned the judge said hey uh, can you come and talk to us uh, talk to the uh, court regarding the possibility of um what do they call it um they were gonna plea they asked if they wanted to plead out um for some other thing and that's when it came to light that the person standing next to the defense attorney was not the actual client. And the strategy was, I'm going to ask the witness, do you see the person who did the hit and run? And when they can't identify you, then obviously they don't know who it is. Wow, I mean, that's beyond fraud about just the representation. That's fraud in the actual substance of the yeah the case or whatever. That's unbelievable. Yeah, because you you literally lose. Like if you if the person is so dense that they go, well, yeah, right there, standing next to you is the person that did the hit and run. Then obviously, they're gonna lose the case. But it you're supposed to be able to confront the person that caused you the harm. That's what the court is all about, seeking justice and making the person whole. And one of those mechanisms is facing your accuser and facing the one that harmed you. So, Well, and of course, the attorney has to be truthful in front of the court, which yeah. obviously not even close to that yeah, operating in good faith yeah so <laughs> it came uh to light during this plea negotiation sidebar and um that landed this attorney and so just to be clear it's lawyer nicole t fair of sanford north carolina made an assertion in her august 28th response 
to a disciplinary complaint, according to Law 360, Fair was representing a client in an alleged hit-and-run accident in Lee County, North Carolina, during the June 2020, uh, 2022 hearing, according to the June 30th, 2023 complaint by the North Carolina Bar Disciplinary Hearing Commission. So the victim was required to identify the defendant. But they couldn't because the defendant wasn't really there. So Right, it wasn't even possible to do that. <laughs> right. Um, so when the judge asked Fair and her client to approach the bench to discuss a possible plea agreement, Fair left the fake client at the defense table, the commission alleged. Fair said uh, she didn't want to discuss a plea because she didn't think the witnesses could identify her client according to the complaint. (laughs) (laughs) So a lunch recess was called. As it began, the prosecutor and judge discovered that the litigant may not have been the criminal defendant. And when the judge inquired, Fair said to her uh, in her response, uh, she disclosed the tactic that she swapped them out. <laughs> this so, one is really incredible. Um Yeah. So if the what's weird though is if the defense was identified at some point as being the person that did the hit and run when the witness says no I can't see the person that did the hit and run does that actually affirm that the other person no you would have to bring the other person in oh, right. and go is this the person you basically do redo a lineup but that's what a photo book is for that's what a lineup is for it doesn't well and it's what it makes you wonder if the witness didn't say something like like that's not the person i identified or like you'd think yeah, there'd be some elaboration yeah. there i don't know yeah this um, is but also, i've never seen why this didn't done the prosecutor like there's so yeah. many things that don't make sense about this how yeah. did anybody not identify this before this occurred i've no idea i don't know how it could get that far the moment that somebody else was sitting on that side i i if i was the attorney and go that's not the client (laughs) right why is somebody other than the client or the defense team sitting here yeah because you don't even have consultants sitting at the table they're behind they're in the gallery so Anyway, really fascinating, and uh, I don't know what the end result of this is. She's requesting dismissal of the ethics complaint or discipline uh, that allows her to continue practicing law. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, you just found you were basically you're in an ethics hearing. This is this is a little deeper than just a hey, um, I came late to, you know, the hearing, <laughs> which she was right. too. By the way, she lied about coming late to the hearing two hours late pretty 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 interesting news day (laughs) let's keep on going the next article is over on hometown daily uh the fisker pears disappearing trunk is a nifty magic trick if you've never heard of fisker fisker is a car designer it actually went into bankruptcy and then recovered and has been launching um a few actually i think there's a few um pretty sexy looking cars i'm telling you i really like fisker i've always liked fisker they were one of the first cars to have solar panels in the roof they have uh, really nice designs 
Um, Fisker released new images of its optimistically priced pair electric crossover, including footage of its so-called Houdini trunk in action. And as far as automotive gimmicks go, this one's pretty good. So I'm going to cut to the chase and just show you this. This is over at The Verge. Andrew J. Hawkins is the author. And the pair is Fisker's sub $30,000 electric crossover SUV. Aimed at young city That's, dwellers. Uh, less than I would think. Yeah, it basically looks like um, CRV. Um, what's the other one? Uh, doggone it. The one that um, always, uh, the people that I talked to, it always en ended up blowing out its turbo. Um, 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 mm, I can't remember it right now. Anyway, um, it looks like a, it's a really good looking car. I don't like the idea of it be call, being called a pair, but okay, whatever. It's just a name. I'll debadge it. It's not um, a pear shape. <laughs> I can't tell from the view. Yeah, I don't know. So what's really neat about this thing is that the trunk kind of folds down into the body. Um, either. I mean, it, I guess that would be handy if you were loading it up. Yeah, I suppose. Um, it's still, I mean, for you to be safe, it has to go back up. <laughs> well, that's true. And you don't want it to fall down if you get uh, hit or something. Yeah, that mechanism just kind of give up and it just drops down. All your stuff falls out of your trunk. And you know well, what? I was thinking you... more like the car goes into your car <laughs> than your groceries falling out or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they end up, all your junk falls out of your trunk. <laughs> You don't I hate want when that. that happens. I hate when my junk falls out of my trunk. Usually I get a wellness check when that happens. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I dig it. I really like the car's um, styling. So let's see. There's a couple more pictures of it. There you go. Um, yeah, I dig it. I don't know how much of this is a render and how much is it re is real life, but... Um, because the, the prototype is one thing. It actually being mass produced is another. Uh, and at $30,000, there's just no way that this thing, it has to hit certain metrics. Otherwise, it's not going to be priced at $30,000. It just can't. Or it'll be a flash in the pan and just kind of flame out altogether. Um, I've seen other technology like this. There was a car uh, back in like the 20s that the doors would drop down into the body but it was this really thick car um raised up above it, it, it you had to climb into it you know you had to bring like a little step stool because the doors were so thick and the body was so high so that the doors could drop down straight into the body it was a nightmare of a vehicle um and you had to like catapult into the vehicle to get in exactly um, but this has the same kind of um, stance. Like when you look at here, I'll let me scroll back to that. This picture right there. See how thick and those in the podcast, I'm, I'm using my mouse to show an area um, where it's really high off the floor. Right. And so down here is the road. And then way up here is the upper deck of the trunk. And that's so that it has enough space to drop down and kind of curve back into the thing. 
um, because this door can't just drop straight down or it might actually it, it might it might drop straight down and not have any other you know angle or anything and then just slide straight back up but it needs all of this space down inside the body so that it can just drop down so you have this tiny little trunk you better hope that whatever you put in there doesn't extend beyond it because when it starts to close it's going to lift up everything that it's <laughs> just dump it yeah, into the back seat about that issue yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes because you can close a hatchback or a trunk right and it'll just kind of squeeze things in but right. this thing is just gonna <laughs> vault it into the back seat. You want okay, some... so don't put your pets in the back in this car. <laughs> Bling, uh, flying cool. dogs or cats. You're gonna have all your chips. Your eggs are gonna be in the back seat. Oh no, you're gonna yeah, like make scrambled eggs, or you're gonna mm. make tortilla chips out of tortilla, whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Wow. So it's going to have all kinds of beeps and whistles, but it's still an EV, um, so you can't get it wet. Well, not Florida hurricane wet. Let's keep going before I get in trouble. The AI is already side-eyeing me in a digital footprint. Um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Did I throw that last article monitoring the weekend? I didn't throw the attorney one either. You know what? I'm going to redo that transition. <laughs> Let me throw the articles into the chat so that I'm not a big dummy. Um, okay, so now we're going to do that transition. Uh, the next article is going to be a quick one because it's basically about the .ai domain name. Um, it's in the hometown daily channel over at hometown.com, which is also this show. A tiny Caribbean island could reportedly add 10% to its GDP thanks to the AI boom because it's in charge of the sought-after.ai domain name. So if you're not familiar with this, each country has its own top-level domain um, and a GTLD, um, generic top-level domain. Most people are familiar with .com, .net, .org, um, some people know about .gov, but there's a bunch of other, hundreds of others. Um, there was a .com boom that led to everybody really, really wanting .coms. And so the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers kind of blew it up by expanding the number of domain names. Um, so where is it Anquila right is a tiny British overseas territory with a population of around 16,000 but it's also in charge of the .ai domain name a software developer who manages the domain told Bloomberg that it generates 30 million this year uh, let's go over to businessinsider.com Pete Sim I think is their name it might be Sime um, I don't know. Uh, they're the authors of the article. Nice place. Looks nice. If I was there, I don't think I'd be worrying about my domain name. I think I'd be enjoying the beach. Look at that. That's pretty. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, hometown's going to be shutting down. And <laughs> no, I could run Better it from the beach. 
I could do there all of go. this from the beach. I wouldn't. You know what? Hometown citizens, you know, I'll take the hit for you. You know, uh, <laughs> you all dodge that bullet and I, I will take one um, for you. And I will move over to this British overseas territory. Mm-mm. A software developer that manages it. I wonder how much money they make from it. Oh my goodness. Pause this video. I don't know if we want to talk about eco-friendly coffins. Well, we're talking about a British overseas territory with a population of around 16,000 people. I would probably get to know them all individually. There's so few people on this island. <laughs> um, so that means anyone who wants to get their hands on a URL ending in .ai has to get one from the... Is it pronounced Angelin? Or Angelin? I thought it was Angia. Angia? Oh, okay. Um, Maybe. Angia government. Yeah. I'm painting myself into a corner with this because I don't think I've heard that name. Um, Vince Kate, a software developer who's managed the domain on the territory, uh, on the territory's behalf since the 1990s, told Bloomberg that the total number of .ai registrations has almost doubled in the past year to a total of 287,432. Things are very different here since ChatGPT's public launch last November. And while there is a big peak from December to March, the popularity has since leveled off per Bloomberg. Yeah, it'll hit a saturation point, but as people discover new uses of .ai, um, they'll continue to register it and more people will register it at a slower pace. But there's, there's a lot of prospective purchases right they think that it's going to be a value so they get fastfood.ai and they own it for decades until somebody decides to run an app called fastfood.ai um which by the way if it's out there i might have to go and get it but it really depends on the price some of these um top level domains they they want to create exclusivity and so they charge like twelve hundred dollars a year um and or have a minimum amount of years or whatever but there are some expensive ones and they mentioned tuvalu which is the dot tv which is twitch twitch.tv um that became all the rage when people started streaming online so dot tv became popular uh Tuvalu, the Pacific Island nation with a population of 11,000, also benefited from its TV or its country code um, called uh, .TV. So in 2019, Tuvalu made $7.1 million or about 8% of the government's total revenue from leasing the domain. Wow. Yep. So they don't even really have to manage anything because they leased the entirety of the domain over to somebody else. Whereas Angia... Um, probably Isn't it crazy it. that it's one person managing it. <laughs> I mean, they might have a team, but well, at one point with the internet and we're talking like back in 2000, there was a person that redirected all of the top level name servers. So there's DNS, the domain name system, right? inside the dns is name servers and there's a certain number of them and at the time i believe that it was 13. now there's an 
nobody knows exactly how many or where their locations are anymore um, because an insider actually redirected all of the internet traffic through his apartment. Um, and there was a lag, but all he did was move it back and show people that he could have done this. Um, and now it's, now there's a, a, a big hoopla about that. And so it's much more protected, um, from this concentration of control, <clears throat> arguably. Um, so at any rate, there you go, folks. All you have to do to start making $30 million is create an offshore uh, government and uh, or become part of a British overseas territory and then um, go viral for having a country code like .ai. I don't know. That's all? <laughs> there's a bunch of them too. Like um, there's specialties in different types of careers, right? And so there's a domain that's associated with that, like a country code. Um, Which so. I didn't know. I actually just looked up the whole list of top level domains on, I think it's on ICANN. Mm -hmm. um, and there's ones here that I would have never realized. Yep. Yeah. Like dot and MD I've never encountered. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch. There's really, a, and I can't even go into how many, maybe like 300 nowadays. There's quite a bit. Okay, let's keep on going. Come on. Uh, there we go. Uh, the next article is over in Constructagon. Um, this article is Marysville mail thefts highlight the limitations of current measures, not just the dangers of 3D printing. I say don't villainize 3D printing. Um, but that's kind of what this article steps into it's over at 3dprint.com uh, which bills itself as the the voice of 3d printing uh, vanessa listek is the author of this article and um, it basically talks about the fact that somebody stole um, keys master keys from a usps office and then cloned the keys with a 3d printer and then went about opening mailboxes so the person is the problem not the 3d printer yeah the person who stole it is the problem the lack of security that was supposed to be attributed to protecting these particular keys wasn't implemented properly accountability wasn't implemented properly um but tens of thousands of residents in the community are now at risk after criminals stole master keys from a local post office and used 3D printing technology to produce duplicates. Um, as mail theft spiked alarmingly in zip codes uh, 98270 and 98271, areas that collectively encompass more than 73,000 people, the Marysville Police Department and USPS are tackling the issue of how to offset this crime. Yeah, they're going to have to go in and change all of the locks <laughs> um, to something that can't be tweaked by these master keys um, because it's really interesting. Tumblr technology locks and, and whatnot can have masters and submasters that only certain people can access certain things and then regular keys that are one-to-one. -one. Um, all built around how many of those designs are in place and how the tumblers are set up. It's pretty neat technology. But then all I would have to do is study 
or get a lock picking gun and I could open up any of these in a matter of seconds anyway. Now, it's instant felony and a little obvious when you're sitting there clicking away with a lockpick gun um, or sitting there for 30 minutes on a stool trying to pick a lock with tools. Um, but again, I, I this is a problem that could have been mitigated simply by putting those keys in a lockbox. <laughs> um, right. I mean, that's so simple. Think about how much, I don't know, yeah. uh, could have been lost or uh, the costs, et cetera, that could have been avoided. There are many of an organization out there that uses an RFID key that allows them to tap on a lockbox that opens the lockbox so they can take out that key for that device, whatever it is. Um, or a master set or whatever, um, but they apparently didn't do that. Well, the USPS isn't really, I won't even say anything bad because the USPS is supposed to operate within its budget, which it normally would if not for, and have money left over, if not for the fact that it had to capitalize its entire retirement fund which nobody does. Nobody uh, proactively funds their entire retirement fund. They they pay out from a fund who is retiring in a given year and plan, you know, the succession planning, continuity of operations planning, etc., and have the money ready to go. But whatever. So now they're hobbled, and instead of focusing on better technology or contacting someone like me who is willing and able to go in and provide advice um, at a reasonable rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> they basically probably just hung it on a, on the back of a door and said, don't take the master set of keys out. Well, what time is it? 9.45? The no shit news at 9.45 <laughs> is somebody saw that and said, I'm going to leave with it. So, yeah, it... Not much else can be said about this. Um, these devices trap the key, preventing it from being extracted after being inserted, a measure that, according to the USPS, is uh, currently the only course of action they can take. <clears throat> there, But this whole article is talking about mitigating what was a sociological issue. They, uh, A human being stole something that shouldn't have been uh, an opportunistic event. They shouldn't have been able to steal it. Um, and so they talk about the root of the problem lies in a security system that permits access via master keys. That's not it. That's not the, the root of the problem, uh, which can be stolen, copied, or otherwise breached. Well, everything can be, you know. Exactly. But you can take some reasonable security measures to exactly. at least yep. prevent the average person from trying to steal something. And every biometric lock, everything that might use something that is not a, a standard key always has to have some other way of gaining access. Why? Because if you don't and something happens, then you can never get into it. It's not the, <laughs> this isn't something <laughs> that should never be accessed. It's something that has periodic access requirements. And if somebody loses a key, 
you can't suddenly turn this into a time capsule that only aliens will be able to open up in 2000 years or bees bees are supposed to take over from humans at some point that's the next species oh maybe that's what was happening uh in was it new york yeah the five million bees that yes. fell over yeah or maybe not new york sorry might have been i'm not sure it's in the one of the other episodes Anyway, I think this is, it's an interesting take, you know, kind of an academic look at how this could have occurred and how to mitigate it. But the, the reality is the key should have been in a lockbox. That would have stopped this and it wouldn't be a 3D uh, blaming kind of article, right? Just because it had something to do with it doesn't mean that it has anything to do with 3D printing, right? Well, Absolutely. They could have taken that key and carved it out of a chunk of plastic or metal with a hacksaw. Or had... taken it to a key uh, oh, duplication, duplication service, service yeah, the service or booth. whatever. Right? That little machine, yeah. you just set it in there and there's nobody that pays attention to you. Yeah, it's all kinds of goofy in this article. Okay, well, I'm running behind, so let's keep on going. <laughs> Next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Southern California counties could power 270,000 homes by installing solar panels along highways. My argument with this is, well, why don't you subsidize homeowners installing solar and you don't have to worry about something along the freeways as if we need more stuff on the freeways. Because we do so well with our distraction and staying sure. in our lanes and everything. Yep. And because... This is installed and owned by somebody else. It's not just powering houses. It's forcing people to pay. And that rate is going to change based on somebody's demand for a profit. So why not subsidize the local economy by installing in individual people's homes solar each year? Go, hey, we have this amount. We'll subsidize the installation of solar panels um, and you pay us back over X amount of time. Da, da, da. Um, well, also the nice thing is guess who doesn't then have to maintain those. Yeah. California. The, yeah. The state. Um, and it isn't privately owned or managed or contracted, right? It's where everybody has to pay into the provider. It's on top of the houses and they pay their, if there is any left over, right, it pays back into the grid or the homeowner pays a bill if they use too much. You tap all of these solar panels into the grid, but that's not what's wanted. They want the profit. Um, and I haven't even read the whole article here. So Sharon Udison is the author of the Southern California counties could power 270,000 homes by installing solar panels along highways. Um, so, you know, I would hope that it says in here that they're going to put it on houses, but it says three counties have more than 4,800 acres of suitable space to develop solar panel uh, power alongside highways, which could, could uh, potentially accommodate up to 960 megawatts of renewable energy capacity. I would just, I would prefer it would be on homes directly. Just one San Diego interchange where Cabrillo uh, Freeway and Claremont Mesa Boulevard intersect could generate enough solar uh, energy to power 180 homes each year per analysis. 
Um, so does it say who would, yeah, it's just a utility scale solar projects can take six years to complete and 13 years just to plan and build the necessary transmission lines per the analysis. They always say per the analysis right here, the analysis noted, except there are that, a lot of analysis happening. Yeah. If you have the equipment right now, you can install them because the houses are what's important here. You put more stuff on the freeway, they're going to get abused left and right. Um, and you'll have to maintain them and babysit them. So I didn't know this. It says that Maine and Georgia already have done this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I think I've seen, um, I think I've seen some short runs of this where it's sit, excuse me, it's sitting in the Island, um, between the lanes. Um, but I don't know where it was anymore. It's been a long time, actually, um, at least to me. Uh, it says here, and in 2021, the Federal Highway Administration issued guidance to encourage renewable energy generation in such transit arteries. Um, but at some point, they're going to need to expand the road or do some other construction, and they're going to have to work around the solar panels um, or, or replace Or they're going to get damaged, or somebody's going to run into them if they're on the shoulder or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And like I've been saying, all it takes is somebody shooting at them, you know, you could fire a BB gun and one panel destroys like 20% of its efficacy because it no longer conducts electricity as one contiguous element. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. Uh, did I throw? I did not throw that in there. Yeah, sorry. One second. Let me throw that into the chat. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Um, $300,000 worth of TCG cards returned as August Gen Con uh, heist nears conclusion. Detectives, quote, in communication with suspects attorneys. Um, this is an ongoing thing uh, that we've been talking about periodically. Basically, there was video um, surveillance of two people that took $300,000 plus um, or I should say at least $300,000 worth of um, trading cards <laughs> uh, on a, on a, a big dolly just, or what? That's a, like a cart, a cart. Yeah. Uh, one of those flat top ones. And um, just, it was piled high, you know, like five feet worth of these, uh, like a cube of trading cards, um, $300,000. The people that were, um, observed had shirts on for a card game called castle assault, apparently. And people were looking at the video and looking at pictures of the people that developed castle assault and lo and behold, they look really close. Um, but no word from these people, no word from anybody involved in the heist. Um, but apparently it says I mean, that's as, some really bad publicity for a company, particularly <laughs> if they're if they're fledgling or something. You want to know something interesting about that, though? It became the most popular talking point on Board Game Geek, which wow. is a website dedicated to board games. Uh, as I guess one, so. Um, like any publicity is good publicity. No press is bad press. 
right? So if you're not talking about it, then that's bad. But even if you're talking about it in the context of a heist, people are going to be buying this game because they're like, I knew them when they weren't a felon. <laughs> Harvey Randall over at PCGamer.com put the article together. The deck statement says the stolen goods have been returned after a journey to New York. Oh, man. IMPD detectives are seeking the public's help in identifying the two. Was it a post made back in August and that uh, yeah um early August yeah and um so it says first spotted by Dicebreaker a recent statement from the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department report that around three hundred thousand dollars worth of goods were <laughs> taken from Gen Con twenty twenty-three um and I guess it was just so brazen that's the thing that really surprises me but um, I guess what they did was they updated the original article with the uh, statement down at the very bottom, cards return. These ill-gotten goods wouldn't stay missing, however. As reported by Dicebreaker on August 29th, the IMPD released this statement in the ongoing case. IMPD detectives were able to locate and recover the stolen merchandise in New York City on Friday, August 25th. The cards are in the process of being returned to Indianapolis and held as evidence. Oh, that's the bad thing held as evidence while the IMPD have rightfully noted that the suspects should be considered innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> uh, true. Honestly, that's a true statement in all ways um, because we don't know who it actually was. Maybe they have evil twins that went in to Gen Con and stole it on their Maybe. behalf or in their Maybe they likeness. had shirts on for their competitor or something. I mean, wow. probably not likely, but. Wow. The AI has gone dastardly. Wow. Wow. My sentient AI is now evil. Got it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make on sure. on the Terminator body. Oh God. So, uh, Yeah. Uh, its rating has sunk to 4.0 on Board Game Geek after a sea of one-point review bombs with the occasional voice of calm poking through. And so remember I said that it became the most popular discussion on Board Game Geek. Right, right. Um, not the no most popular game. <laughs> yeah, not the most favorable. It just became hot for being associated with this Gen Con um theft by the yeah. way the first comment said i know what you did last gen con which i thought was <laughs> funny <laughs> yeah i like that lurcho says i know what you did last gen con that's awesome um let's see here went to gen con to become a con <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see that one <laughs> I went to Gen Con and all I got were these uh, handcuffs. That that would have been a good one. I didn't. Uh, it, nobody said that. Right. I said that. Go directly um, to jail. Yeah, I like that one too. Wow, it's just amazing. Um, a separate statement by the IMPD reads: Detectives are no longer looking for these persons of interest. Detectives have been in communication with their attorneys, which apparently, the persons of interest link the the way that this is grammatically written implies that the people of interest are the people that are the ones that did it right right 
Uh, the case is expected to be presented to the prosecutor's office in the near future for charging consideration. At the time of writing, the authorities are still uh, working through the specifics of the case, and this article will be updated again once they do. So definitely go and check this out. Let me throw this into um, the chat, and you'll be able to just follow that link. Um, okay, so da-da, and um, we'll go on to the next one. Uh, don't do it. Duncan employee urges customers not to order large iced beverages and waste money. The employee, the employee has gone viral on social media for his discovery. I don't know if it's so much of a discovery as observation. Um, a lot of people actually know this about large drinks and small drinks and medium drinks and whatnot. Uh, in that if you order ice, you end up having a small with a ton of ice um let's go into the source here you go it's over at entrepreneur.com emily rella is the author um a duncan donuts worker is going viral for telling people not to waste their money it's been viewed over 24.9 million times i suppose on tiktok oh it doesn't say that's odd yeah that's interesting um, it is a TikTok video. So it's an absolute waste of your effing money to put to pay $3.50 for a large when you can buy a small for $2. Um, yes, uh, yes, but. And, you know, people say, well, you're, you're getting the same amount of, well, you're getting ice and drink, whatever it is, it's going to be a small. So you're going to save $1.50, but you're going to, you're not going to get as much ice or keep it as cold you know for as long so you might not enjoy it as much but i know but, people you know yeah exactly i know you have to drink it fast otherwise it's going to become room temperature you know pdq but i know people that don't put ice in their drink um and they but they hork it down in time so that it's still cold um or they eventually go and get ice <laughs> Um, so earlier this year, it's rumored that Starbucks would begin charging more for drinks with no ice, uh, which angered customers and sparked outrage, but Starbucks denied the allegations. Um, I haven't looked into that because I remember talking about that earlier, um, this year and, um, I don't remember, I don't, I didn't follow up on it. So I don't know if they actually have raised their rates. And then when somebody says, Hey, you said you weren't going to raise your rates, and they would just kind of go, oh, no, we're just raising our rates. It's not because of the dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So basically, buy a large and say no ice. Otherwise, you're going to get what amounts to a small with a large amount of ice. Um, and what they say is... Um, in a clip that's been viewed over 24.9 million times, the worker named Thomas pours a large iced beverage into a small cup, but holds back the ice. And so you're getting a small in a large cup of ice. <laughs> so that's a lot of money for your ice, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, but if you say, hey, I don't want ice, is the expectation of the company to fill your large up to the brim with liquid or is the process 
ice and drink ice and drink the problem for me has always been whoever it is that's making the drink they vary on the ice depending on their motivation and speed um, and sometimes they're like i'm gonna give you a little bit of ice and sometimes they pack it so full that it's basically like there's no liquid <laughs> i could i could bring down the titanic with my cup anyway there you go folks too soon <laughs> yeah it, forever it's always too soon next articles over in hometown daily most stolen vehicles list reveals us thieves prefer dodges ah the dodge models come in first second and fourth on the highway Highway Lost Data Institute's list of most stolen vehicles. That's spectacular. Um, so uh, Eileen Falkenberg Hull over at Newsweek.com put this article together. Uh, uh, theft claims for the most stolen Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat were 60 times more frequent for 2020 to 2022 models per capita with 25 whole vehicle thefts per 1,000 insured vehicles. For comparison, the most stolen vehicle for 2017 to 2019 was the Infiniti Q60. Had just two thefts per 1,000. <laughs> wow. Okay. Hmm. So if you own a Hellcat, you better check your driveway. These numbers are unbelievable, says uh, Senior Vice President Matt Moore of the Highway Loss Data Institute. That is amazing. Huh. So obviously there's something wrong with whatever might be in play where people are so brazen that they're going to be stealing these cars and then they all they all have to be chopped up and thrown into a, a multitude of cars. We didn't feature it in the show, but there was an article in hometown where basically stolen high-end cars were found in shipping containers i mean they were obviously sending them somewhere else to to do something with so I, that was early last year right that article uh it was no it was in the last week i mean there might have been oh, really? one previously yeah because oh, i i think i uh talked about that way back um so the f what else was on here so in the, uh, the Kias and the Hyundais. Yeah, the Dodge Charger Hemi um, was the second on the list. The third, 18th, and fourth places, respectively, are the Infiniti uh, Q50, 54-wheel drive. I don't know why they break it out like that. And Dodge Challenger. Um, and then there were four Kias, the Sportage, Sportage four-wheel drive. There is a typo in their article. Um, Rio and Forte. So, yeah, it wasn't Hyundai. Yeah, Hyundai had some issues with their <laughs> security. And They're Kia actually... did as well, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kia and Hyundai both uh, were lacking adequate security mechanisms. Um, and they ended up in a lawsuit. So now there's 79 lawsuits in 24 district courts pertaining to Kia and Hyundai. Yeah. I guess they got to put Apple AirTags on everything. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so the last article, we'll just end the show with this last article. 
Um, Warcrafter channel, hours before Starfield officially launches. It's already the top game on Twitch with 350,000 viewers. This was back um, a few hours ago. And at 8 o'clock um, Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Uh, West Coast, and scattered around the world, various time zones, um, Starfield launched. I will be playing Starfield after this show ends. I'm going to end and go take a break for a minute, and then I'll be back, and I will be playing until the wee hours of Friday. By the way, I just looked on the main page of Hometown, mm -hmm. and I counted quickly mm -hmm. out of 50 articles. 19 were about Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because the the embargo has dropped, and so everybody's talking about it. Um, and I understand it's a pretty massive range of interests, so some people are loving it, some people are kind of poo-pooing it. Um, that's expected, but right now there's 372,000 people that are viewing it over on um, Twitch. So it already went up. <laughs> um, actually, it was actually uh, 70,000 higher when this show started. Um, it was at 445 or so thousand. Um, and now it's dropped back down. It's understandable. Time zones rotate out and popular areas are falling off. And But I think it'll be sustained for a little while. Um, and I will be adding at least myself to it. And um, hey, maybe it'll get back up to 300 or 440,000 uh, when I go live. Because, you know, I'm packing the people into my gaming streams late at night on a Thursday. <laughs> In hometown. That's okay. But anyway, the article, Starfield's pressurized doors are open for Twitch streamers a few hours before its early access release, and it's already shot up to the top of the concurrent viewer charts on the platform. Streamers were given, some streamers were given early access um, at noon. Um, everybody else had to wait until eight. Um, and uh, the what was really bad was the preload for this was yesterday, and I preloaded it, and it was about 87 gigs. And then day one patch, I had to re-download 116 gigs and reinstall it. So, yeah, that was really interesting. Um, but, yeah, it says Bethesda's sci-fi RPG is currently holding on to 350,000 viewers, actually 372,000 viewers. With a peak of 500,000, I didn't witness that part, but uh, which places it right under the just chatting category. It's actually above right now. Um, top streamers like Shroud, Co-Carnage, and Fuchsia um, already made their characters and are off completing missions and combining rooms and or combing rooms and uh, resources. Yeah, I'm going to jump into it here. Um, let's go over to the source of this article, Tyler Culp. Um, and uh, PCGamer.com is the source. Streamers are launching into space a few hours before the release. Obviously, this took place before the show started. Um, and uh, one of the things that I already made a comment about is kind of how derpy the characters look. I don't know why. it, it It's so Uncanny Valley, but it's so Bethesda. So I'm going to love playing this game. Um, and, uh, I think that's it. Go and check it out. Um, yeah, we done. I think we are. All right. 
So see you all in a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, let's go back to the very front of hometown, the, the main street, the front door, the, uh, what do you want to call it? The, I don't know, the front page. We'll mash that logo the and sign. the welcome sign, the welcome to hometown sign. And look at all these Starfield shipbuilding guide. All kinds of articles are going to be about that. Um, Gen Zer who uses AI to boost their creativity and beat writer's block. That's the kind of tool that AI should be. Fisker confirms Foxconn will build its $30,000 pair EV, but questions remain. Um, let's see. Notice you see some more Starfield popping up here. Yep. Again and again, all kinds of stuff. But there's always something, folks. So go and check out hometown.com. In the meantime, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. Come back to watch uh, Starfield streaming. Otherwise, yep. we'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern for the hometown daily. Yeah, I'll probably be back at 1030, 1045. Just need to take a, a bio break. I don't know why I included that in this. Y'all have a good night. Bye-bye.